0: If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6, this is our last Sunday in Luke 6, we were going to uh, wrap up the Sermon on the Plain and continue on through the book of Luke, Um, let's just think back a little bit, we've been uh, walking through Luke 6 for a while, this teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Plain, the Sermon on the mount. that began in in verse 20, as he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and began to speak to them. And we began, if you remember way back, it's been a few Sundays now, but we started in our consideration of the the Sermon on the Mount. We went back to Luke 4. These, These verses in Luke 4, where Jesus is in Nazareth, he's in his hometown, and they invite him up and he takes up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor that Jesus has come to begin the year of the Lord's favor in some ways the 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 inbreaking the the slow coming of the kingdom of God, we said that the kingdom is something that is that is here, it's present, and yet it's it's also still coming, that until Jesus comes, his kingdom will not be fully established here on earth. But we see glimpses of it now. And as Jesus goes through his ministry, we start to see it, don't we? That, that demons are cast out, foreshadowing that one day Christ will come and cast down Satan forever. That, that sickness is healed, that lame people are made able to walk to show that Jesus is able to forgive sins and he's able to make us right before God. And so he goes through the towns, and we start to see this partial fulfillment of the year of the Lord's favor of of the the uh, the kingdom of God coming. And then the Sermon on the Mount is a further proclamation of that. It's it's that this is what people who are a part of the kingdom of God look like. This is how they act. This is what they do. This is the way they they speak. This is how they love others. And so this is the the breaking in of the rule and the and the reign of God. And this sermon spells out if we are truly Children of the King, if we are truly followers of Jesus, then this is how we live. This is what it looks like as we walk through our daily lives. This is what we value. These are the instructions from our King that we want to follow. So for all those who have, have bowed their knee to Christ as King, they are those who love their enemies. They are those who do good to those that hate them. They are those who just give sacrificially to others. They are those who forgive and are not judgmental and and condemning. And ultimately, as we saw last week, there are there are people that have been completely changed by Christ, been given a brand new nature that allows us to to do this. I want to emphasize that again. Remember we saw that last week with this tree, the tree and its fruit, no good tree bears bad fruit, no Uh, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, that, that the essential nature of that tree determines the kind of fruit that it produces. And the same is true of us. Unless we have been changed in our essential nature, we are not able to do what God has called us to do. So the Sermon on the Mount is not the list of things that we have to do to get to heaven. The Sermon on the Mount is not the list of things that Jesus says, if you can check all these off, then you are a child of God. But rather... It is what we do out of the new nature that Christ has given us. So If we have been transformed by faith, if we have put our trust in Christ, we've come, we've said, I'm a sinner. I repent of all the wrong that I have done and we find forgiveness in Christ. We accept the life that He lived on our behalf and we accept the fact that He died in our place, that even though we sinned and we deserve punishment and He was perfect and deserved none of it, that He took our place. And now He gives us a new heart that is able to do these things. It's not... That we follow the Sermon on the Mount so that God is happy with us. We follow the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus has transformed us and made it possible for us to do it. So I want to emphasize that really strongly because that was the encouragement last week, wasn't it? That that we have been changed, that you can do this. Not in your own strength, but in the strength that God provides, that he has made us a good tree to produce this good fruit. Because now he's going to come with something that's that's really strong, and so I want to emphasize this this good news that our salvation is rooted in what christ has has perfectly done because if if this is the list of things that I'm supposed to do, I'd have been really discouraged this past week, uh, and so would you it's It's how do you love your enemies? How do you do good to those that hate you i I found this weekend I just found so many opportunities to judge other people. <laughs> found so many opportunities to not be forgiving. So many opportunities to just love the people that love me and forget about everyone else. That's what, what I want to do in my flesh. But if, if I have been changed, then the encouragement that I found this week was to say, you know what, this isn't what I naturally want to do, but because Jesus has changed me, I'm able to love my enemies. I can forgive other people. I am able to do this because Christ has changed me. And it was just an encouragement. Now there's this this Jesus closes with a strong question because he says if if our nature has been truly changed, if Jesus has taken out this heart of stone and he's given us a new heart of flesh that means we can we can walk in his ways if we've been rescued and redeemed, it's not only that we can produce good fruit but we must I think that's the point here in luke six forty six through forty nine it's this if Jesus is our king, we will do what he says. So it's not just that we can now because he's changed us, but that if Jesus truly is our king, then we will do what he says. Let, let's look at the verses right away. Luke six forty-six through 49, just a, a very familiar verses to us. He opens with a question, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground Without a foundation, when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. If Jesus is our king, we will do what he says. I have three daughters. They are not with us this morning. They're with their grandparents in Illinois. But having three daughters means that there's a lot of princesses that's played around our house. Whether it's with the Barbies or they themselves dress up and say, we are princesses. And now with the addition of Jude, he is a prince. And so if, if my children are princesses and I have a, a prince, what does that make me? I'm the king. Uh, they will say that, Dad, you're the king, Mom's the queen. And I always think, if I'm the king, then why does no one listen to me? <laughs> now they do listen to me. But in the games, very often I'll say, well, we should do this in the game. And they say, no, that's not what we're doing. And I just want to say, but I'm the king. If, in, if I'm the king, then I say this is what we should do. Well, the princesses aren't in charge of the kingdom. The, the king is. Uh, I, I think that's a, a comical way to think about what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I, I'm the king. And, and if I'm the king, then you do what I say. And if, if I'm not the king of your life then you won't do what i say isn't that's the he opens with this this strong question that's re, that's it's meant to reveal the foolishness of something the foolishness of claiming that christ is your lord only in word that that you can of of giving him the title you say jesus is my king jesus is my lord you give him that title but you don't give him any control of your life it's the same as my girl saying you're the king but we don't do anything that you say so he asked this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you proclaim with your mouth that I'm your master, and then ignore everything that I've told you to do? Why do you say Jesus is my king, but then refuse to allow any of my commandments to bear fruit in your life? It's a very strong question, isn't it? The implication is this, that if, if we don't do what Jesus says, then no matter how often we call Him Lord, He's not our Lord. If we just say it with our lips, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, but then we don't do anything that He says. It doesn't mean anything. And if he is, If He's our King in word only, then He's not our King at all. The problem is, I think that, What's happened in, in the church is we've, we've created a class of Christians that is nowhere in the Scriptures. And it's, it's this group of Christians that proclaim Jesus as Savior and Lord, but then allow, do not allow that to affect any part of their life. So it's if you imagine a pie, that, that Jesus is Savior and Lord, that's one section of the pie, but then everything else we just do whatever we want. Rather than saying that Jesus is in control of, of everything, that he is the Lord. It's often the person, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm picking on my own tradition here. It's the person who comes and says that they, that they prayed a prayer, or they signed a card, or they, or they walked an aisle, and they said with, in some way, whether with their lips, or with their, um uh, with the card, or whatever it was, they said, Jesus is Lord, but then there is no, there's no fruit, there's no change in that person's life. It's spoken with, with their mouth, but, but there is no evidence that that is a true Profession. Now some people say that this is true, that there are two different classes of Christians. That there are those who have accepted Jesus as Savior, and there are those that have made Jesus, their not only their Savior, but have made him Lord of their life. Have you heard that phrase, I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life? That's often a call to Christians to say, I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life now. But in the Gospel, to say, I'm going to make Jesus, would you like to make Jesus Lord of your life? That's a call to salvation. That's a call to say, well, you allow Jesus to take control of your life, and that is how you become a Christian. That is how you become saved. There is no distinction between saying Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. That's like saying he's my king, but I don't do anything that he says. It doesn't make any sense for us to say that Jesus is going to save a group of people, but that they will not do anything that he says. And I think we could do a whole study on this. We really could. But I think what's going to be better is as we go through the book of Luke to just see what Jesus says. When he calls people to himself, he calls them to submit to him as Lord. And this is one of the first in- instances because Jesus, the, remember the book of Luke, the main one of the big emphasis is Jesus is the Savior of the world. The twin emphasis in the book of Luke is Jesus is Lord. So if... If Jesus is our king, then he makes it very clear that we will do what he says. And if we don't do what he says, then we show that he's not our king. Now let me be very clear. I tried to be clear at the beginning, but I want to be very clear. That we that that Jesus doesn't become our king because we do what he says. That that he doesn't um, make us his children because we follow what he does. But rather we show forth that he truly is our king. If we do what he says, that's the point of the fruit trees, right? If the root is, if the nature has been changed, it will produce fruit. If the nature has not been changed, it will not produce good fruit. The nature has to be completely changed, and our nature has to be completely changed, so that not only we can produce fruit, but we will produce fruit. Uh, Matthew has a parallel account. And he helps us to kind of see how strong these words are, to see that Jesus isn't talking about two classes of Christians, one made up of people who say Jesus is Savior, and one made up of people who say he's Savior and Lord. That that doesn't exist in the Gospels. And this is what Matthew says in Matthew seven twenty-one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's pretty strong, isn't it? That this is this is a salvation issue. He goes on, on that day, that last day, the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a heavy passage. Jesus makes it clear that 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 there is no such thing as someone who is a, a carnal Christian someone who proclaims that Jesus is their savior but he doesn't control their life and on that day they will they will say we did all these things for you Jesus we said with our mouths lord lord and he will say i don't know who you are you are not my children no matter how much you proclaimed it no matter even how many good works these miracles that you did, it says people who cast out demons and did mighty works and prophesied that that they did not know him. It's a really piercing question, isn't it? You may see why I wanted to end with an encouragement last week, because this is a strong rebuke. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And he follows up that piercing question with a with a very poignant parable. It's this parable of two builders. Have you sung this song? The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling down. And The foolish man built his house on the sand, and the, the rains came tumbling down. So it's a, it's a, it's a great song. Learn that song. It's based on Scripture. But I was struck this week by the fact that I've, I've, I've relegated this passage to a children's song, when in actuality he's, he's talking about final judgment. That's what this parable, I believe, is saying. Uh, When I first read it, and I I don't know, maybe you read it the same way. When I first read it, I said, this is about if we follow Jesus, life will be better than if we don't follow Jesus. Kind of like the Proverbs, that if we listen to the wisdom of a father, that life goes better when we listen to that than if we don't. But I think what he's saying here, based on the fact that what happens to the house, the the second house, it goes splat, as the song says. I mean, it's completely destroyed. That this is talking about about final judgment. Let, let's think. Let's think about this this illustration. Okay, verse forty-seven. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. So this is the the first person. Matthew calls him the the wise person. And in the illustration, this wise person is someone who comes to Jesus, who hears his words, and then does them. Okay. The second person then is in verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them. So what's the distinction? What do they have in common? They both hear. They both hear what Jesus says. What's the difference? One does what he says, and one doesn't do what he says. And and so the illustration is that these guys are like two different builders. And one guy builds a house, um, and, and he takes the time to dig a foundation. I mean, he goes down deep Um, we've been we've had small group over at the wallace's house a couple times and across the street they're building a house but there's there's no structure yet they've been digging for a while is there is there anything yet still digging so they're going down deep getting down to the rock to build the foundation because the foundation is is important so they're going to build this and that that's what the wise person is like the person that hears what jesus says and does it is someone who has a strong foundation The foolish person is one who says, I want a house and I want it now, and I don't want to have to worry about the foundation. And so they build the house with no foundation. Imagine a beautiful house just sitting on the dirt. Now both of these are in the same area, and you know I, I imagine them even like on some sort of picturesque river, because that's what's going to happen. This stream is going to rise and cause problems for both houses. So if you want to picture picture a beautiful river and two identical houses on either side, they're they're beautiful from the outside. They look the same, and then all of a sudden the storm comes. I mean, a big storm, and the rain comes, and the wind, and and the the stream rises. It talks here about a a stream breaking against this house. And so the stream rises, and, and it goes over its bank, and it starts hitting against these houses. And they look the same. But in the end, one person has no house. And the other person has a flooded basement. (laughs) There's a difference between these two houses. One is completely destroyed. And one stands firm in the midst of the storm. Now, I think we could say that storm is, is just the different problems that come into our life. And those that obey Jesus, things will go better for them than those that don't, that they will stand firm. I think that that's true, but I think what Jesus is saying here is that on the last day when the great storm comes, when the storm of God's judgment comes, there are those houses that will stand, there are those people that will stand, and there are those that will not stand. So the illustration here is that if a person hears and obeys the words of Christ, then he shows himself to not only be someone who says that that Jesus is Lord with his lips, but he shows it with his lifestyle. He shows that he truly has submitted to Christ and he has confidence that on that storm day, on that judgment day, his, he will stand firm. And those who, who say Jesus is Lord with their lips but not with their life, they haven't changed anything. They are like this foolish man and when judgment day comes, their foundation is not there, it will be gone. So what's the foundation, I think, is another question we need to ask. Is the foundation Jesus? Or is the foundation doing what Jesus says? Does that that make sense? We say Jesus is the rock, Jesus is the one that we build on, but it says here, the one who hears my words and does them, that, that that is in part the foundation. I think it's. I think we could say it's both. Think about this. Jesus has no issue with linking up salvation and works. Now, I'm not saying that he teaches salvation by works, but he has no problem, kind of in in lieu of saying salvation, saying you do good works. Think about the the sheep and the goats. Do you remember this story, the sheep and the goats that that he tells this parable and he says, on the last day, I will gather all people from the world. There will be sheep and there will be goats, and we will divide the sheep from the goats. And I will look to the sheep and I will say, come, blessed of you of my father, because when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was naked, you, you clothed me. And he goes on and they say, when did we do this, Lord? And he said, as much as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And then he looks at the goats and he says, away with you into darkness, because... When I was hungry, you did not feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. But when, when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And they'll say, Lord, when did we not do this? And he says, as much as you did not do it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did not do it to me. And the great, greatest commentary I ever heard on that was Keith Green and his song, of The Sheep and the Goats, and he says, The only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and didn't do. The only difference between them is what they did and didn't do. And so many people will say, well, that's an illustration of salvation by works. No, because they were sheep, and so they did good works, because they had been changed in their essential nature, and so that's what flowed out of their lives. The goats were unable to do good works, and so they didn't, and therefore proved that they were not God's children. Does that make sense? I think we have to create that that, that distinction, but this new nature will produce good works and i think that's why this has to hit us so so hard that this question we say lord lord but do we do what jesus says do we have a foundation where we're we're walking in his ways not as a means of earning salvation but of seeing that he truly is working in our lives have we have we submitted to him in every way or do we just call him lord lord and not do what he says Think about this though. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, the one who hears my words. What are the words he's talking about here? He's talking about what he's just said. I think very often we talk about the lordship of Christ and we turn it into something that that is. Um, here's all the things you're not supposed to do. Um, you know, don't smoke, don't drink, don't. You know, we come up with a list. Don't dance, don't watch movies. These are old lists, obviously. Um, you can come up with new lists or old lists or whatever you want to come up with, and so we come up with all these lists. These are the things you're not supposed to do, and if you don't do these things, then you show that God has control of your life. What is what is Jesus saying? Shows that you truly submit to Him as Lord. That you love your enemies. That you do good to those who hate you. That you pray for those who abuse you. You bless those who who curse you. That you love all people. You don't just love those who love you. You don't just give to those who give to you. You give to everyone. That you are not judgmental and condemning towards other people, but you're forgiving and, and giving towards towards others. That that you're willing to, to worry about the, the plank that's in your own eye before you start taking specks out of other people's eyes. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. We've, we've made it so much about the things that we're not supposed to do that we've neglected to say, but Jesus told us how we are supposed to act, and the way that we build our life on his teaching is to do what he says, and what he says to do is to love our enemies, to be merciful even as our Heavenly Father is merciful. So here's where where this is really difficult. Let's say you've got it figured out. I mean, you've got all your ducks in a row. You've got all the things that you don't do. You keep the Ten Commandments fully. You do that really well. But but you have an unforgiving, judgmental, stingy heart. I think that Jesus says, you need to stop and say, is your confession of me as Lord just something with your lips? Or is it flowing out of your life? Because it's not just about what we don't do. It's about, have we been changed in our essential nature so that our hearts are totally different? We We love people that hate us. We do good to people that, that will never do any good back to us. Is our life marked by generosity and kindness? Matthew twenty three twenty three through 24 says this. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. He says, you do all these, these specific things, but you have neglected the weightier matters. You've neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness. He says, don't, not that you're not supposed to do those things. He even says that these you ought to have done. You should do that without neglecting the others. So it's both. We have to do both. We can't turn our Christianity into this list of things that we're supposed to not do and neglect the fact that we are to love our enemies, and if Jesus is our king, then we will do what he says. If we do what he says, then we know he is our king. Uh, This is a difficult passage, I think. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I, I think this illustration of the house is strong, and to me the revelation this week has been, that it's it's this idea of, of coming judgment, that there will be a day when the storm comes, when the storm of God's judgment comes, and there will be those that stand because their foundation is rooted in Christ, in faith in Christ, that they have put their faith and their confidence in what Jesus has done, not in what they have done, and because of that, the fruit has come out. And there are those who have no foundation, that they say things with their lips, they confess They say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, but they don't do anything that he says and show, therefore, that they have no foundation. As I was thinking about this, I thought about Hebrews 12. And I just want to go there as as we close. Uh, Hebrews 12, there's a lot to be said here. Let me me just read from, from Hebrews 12, verse 18. He says, For you have not come... To what may be touched, a blazing fire, a darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is a reference to Mount Sinai, to the law being given. And he says, you haven't come to a mountain like this that's, that's full of fear and fury of what we are to do. But, verse 21, or verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So much there, but you come to Mount Zion, you come to this place of of grace where where Jesus has come and he has met us and made a way of salvation possible. And then he starts talking about things being shaken. And that's what I want to think about, this foundation illustration. See that you do not refuse him, him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we neglect him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth. So he's talking about Sinai. At that moment, The earth shook when he spoke at Sinai. At that time the the earth shook, but now as he he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. There is a shaking that is coming. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken May remain this is the illustration of the last days that it 's a day of great shaking. You think about maybe you you build blocks with your kids or something and and the way that you test is is you shake that what 's going to fall over you you can shake the mat that it 's on or stomp on the floor is this what 's going to last what 's going to stand firm and Judgment day is compared to this day of a great shaking, and everything will be shaken so that what is unable to stand will be removed and then he says this therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to god acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our god is a consuming fire do you see what he's saying that our kingdom if we are children of god is a kingdom that cannot be shaken that when the last day comes if our foundation is in Christ then whatever shaking happens on that last judgment our house will stand not because of the good works that we have done but because we have built our foundation on faith in Christ that it's not all the good things that we have done but the fact that Jesus did everything necessary for salvation and so the overflow of that he says therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And what's the acceptable worship that he talks about in Hebrews? One of the things at the end of of chapter 13 is do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That worship to God is not just coming here and singing. Worship to God is not just abstaining from sin. Worship to God is loving our enemies. It's doing good to those who hate us. It's praying for those who use us. It's having a spirit of forgiveness and love, a spirit of generosity like Jesus has. So if we have been given this kingdom that cannot be shaken, if we have been given a foundation that no matter how much the stream of God's wrath comes on that last day, we will stand firm, then we should offer to God acceptable worship. Then we should not just say with our lips that Jesus is Lord, but with our lives we should live in that way through his power and for his glory praise God that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken therefore let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe